You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group. American National Insurance, and Spiritless. As the seasons change and the weather warms up, may I suggest a delicious glass of the Terlato Pinot Grigio. It was 1979 when Anthony Terlato introduced America to Pinot Grigio, earning him the title, the father of Pinot Grigio. Since then, his son Bill has spent years making sure that the taste of this Pinot Grigio would be unlike any other in the market. Notes of peach, pear, citrus, and a distinct minerality. From the hills of northern Italy, the grapes meticulously handpicked. This would be a dynamite choice for your summer table. Use promo code TDF20 to get 20% off your first bottle at uncork.com. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, Visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Before we get to the podcast, I want to share the story of three young women who are carving their own path in the beverage industry. They started a company called Spiritless. Their first product is called Kentucky 74, and it's a non-alcoholic bourbon. You can use it as the base for so many delicious mocktails or drink it by itself on the rocks. What I like to do is go halvesies, meaning you mix it with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail. I put a little honey, cinnamon, and an orange slice, and it is truly delicious. If you'd like to enjoy an evening cocktail with no guilt, you can use promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most innovative and creative minds at their favorite restaurant. Today is a very special episode with winemaker Elizabeth Viana. There is an amazing world of wine out there, and I think the most important thing is to stay open-minded and get to know different regions and what they offer. Mm -hmm. And I think that gives us a perspective which is also global. So I want to stay in tune to the entire world, not just Napa Valley. Today we are on location in Napa Valley at the Chimney Rock Winery. The sun is shining and it is a spectacular day to sample some wine. Are you ready? We are meeting and dining with Elizabeth Viana. If you love wine, you're going to love this podcast. And if you love the story of career pivots and changing course, you're really going to love this conversation. 
Elizabeth traces her love of winemaking to a single glass of wine. At the time, she was a biology major at Vassar College and was going to go to medical school. Her science background and infatuation with wine propelled her to apply to UC Davis and its renowned winemaking program instead of medical school. She started at Chimney Rock Winery as an intern in 1999 and became assistant winemaker at Chimney Rock in 2002 and winemaker in 2005. In this conversation, Elizabeth shares her own personal terroir, where she came from, what she loves, and how that has led to a dynamic career in winemaking. Please enjoy my interview with Elizabeth Viana. First of all, Elizabeth, thank you for having me at Chimney Rock Winery. This place is spectacular. It's so nice to meet you. It is so nice to meet you and such a pleasure. We love guests. Oh, well, this is a treat. This is a wonderful, wonderful treat. I cannot wait to dive into really your career trajectory and your 20 years that you've spent as a winemaker at Chimney Rock. But I'm going to begin this podcast like I begin all my podcasts, by asking the guest, where is their favorite restaurant? And what are we eating today? All right. So my favorite restaurant in Napa Valley, and there are many, but this is this is like my go-to place, is Bistro Don Giovanni, um, which has been around for a long time. Uh, it has a very special place in my heart because I shared several meals with Tony Trelato who is the patriarch of the Trelato family. And uh, we had many meals there. And so it brings back great memories. And as it turns out, today is Tony's birthday. This so, is so meant to be. So special. I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, just to give the listeners a little uh, bird's eye view into where we are and what we're doing, we are on this spectacular uh, winery estate called Chimney Rock, really in the heart of Napa Valley in the Stag's Leap District. And um, we're sitting in the barrel room, which is really right off of the main house of the winery. And we're about to dive into this first course, which is this colorful spring salad with beets and green beans. And it looks like blue cheese. Yep, a little Roquefort. A little Roquefort, thank you. Yep. And just absolutely spectacular. So um, before we do... Let me raise a glass to you, and you. And first of all, cheers! Thank you for bringing me here, and I can't wait to hear your story. Cheers! Cheers! And what are we drinking too? So we are going to start with our proprietary white blend, which is called Elvage Blanc, mm. and this is uh, an idea that came from Tony Trelato. Um, he inspired this wine. He was a big fan of a very famous white wine called um, Aubryon Blanc from Bordeaux, which is a $500 bottle of white Bordeaux. And he asked us if we thought we could create a wine that was an homage to that style of wine. So inspired in by Napa. this very exactly. expensive Bordeaux white. Exactly, but with a Napa twist, right? Napa is not Bordeaux. We have different climates for different places. And so we planted a vineyard for this project in 2002. Mm -hmm. And we bottled our first uh, vintage of Elevage Blanc in 2004, I want to say. And it is a blend of two grapes, Sauvignon Blanc. And the Napa twist is Sauvignon Gris. Okay. So typically a white Bordeaux is Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon. We put a little twist. We used a different grape. So Sauvignon Gris is a cousin of Sauvignon Blanc. 
Not as planted. We are one of two producers in all of Napa Valley that actually grow this grape. And what we found is Sauvignon Gris actually retains acidity beautifully mm -hmm. in the heat of Napa. So we thought that that would be a really good balance. So the idea behind this wine is to be a thought-provoking, age-worthy white wine. Mm. So really challenging the idea that white wine is something that you grab in the grocery store, you drink on a hot day by the pool, this is meant to be savored with food. You can age it for five or ten years. It's delicious. It really is. It's delicious. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. This is cheers. wonderful. <laughs> I am absolutely fascinated by your career journey because you were actually pre-med thinking about being a doctor. You went to Vassar College, correct? Correct. And your entire career journey really took a shift. It really took... A 180, and I'd love for you to explain it. Yeah, crazy kid in her 20s, right? Um, so I um, was pre-med at college. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a pediatric oncologist. That oh. was my, yeah, that was what I wanted to do. Um, you had a focus. I had a focus, and I um, decided that I would take some time after college and just work in a hospital, live in New York City. It had been a dream of mine to live in New York City. And just, you know, get familiar with the hospital environment and just, just live a little before I sign my life away to books and student loans. Smart idea. Exactly. So in that period, a really good friend of mine from Vassar, his dad had been a Wall Street guy, had collected many, many bottles of grape Bordeaux in the 70s. And he shared these bottles with us. And I got to try some life-changing wines, Chateau Margaux, Lafitte. He had this amazing collection. So I'd grown up with wine around the table. My dad loved wine, but I'd never really thought about what went into wine. And these wines really made me start looking at wine like art. Mm -hmm. uh, these were bottles that really like made you think. They transported you. They, And so I became sort of fascinated by where, where did this come from? What made this be what it is? So started to taste wines in different places, going to every tasting I could get into, reading wine books and anything that I could do to learn something. It became like a little bit of an obsession. Okay, so here you are about to embark on a medical career and you're taking a little pause, a little break, and you're really following your passion. Really, and it sounds cliche, following your passion, but what you're really doing is just becoming intensely in, interested in something that you like, yeah. right? Yeah, I was falling in love is you what I would say. I was falling, falling in love. love. And you actually cite one particular glass of wine as really changing everything. What was that glass of wine and what did it do to you? Yeah, so that glass of wine was a 1985 Socian de Malais, um, which is a wine from the Omidoc. And it's not, the wine was beautiful. It was lovely. It's a great vintage of Bordeaux, but... I was holding this glass in my hand when I heard um, Christian Wex. So Christian Wex owns Chateau Petrus in, in France, as well as um, Dominus in Napa Valley. And he talked about how he inherited Petrus at 24, and he didn't know what to do, really. Like, this was a huge, you know, thing. What, what am I going to do? So he decided that he would go study viticulture and enology at UC Davis. And that was the first time I'd heard about a program that actually taught you winemaking and grape growing. Okay, so what did you think at this moment as he's explaining this trajectory? 
it's just the light bulb. I'm like, I'm going to look at this viticulture and enology program tomorrow. And you said, um, I want to do that too. I, I Basically, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it started the idea, right? Right, I, it was I'm a not seed. sure I thought it was possible, it but was it was a seed. seed. He yeah. planted a seed. Yeah. And so it wasn't so much the wine as the idea of a different path. Exactly. Like something I hadn't thought about. And I had become really enamored of wine. And I mean, I was truly enchanted. It was taking up all any free time that I had was dedicated to wine at this point. So yeah, I called Davis the next day, got an application. I put it in a drawer. The next day? Yeah. You got the application. Yeah, I called them to mail me an application. It was still snail mail back then. Threw it in a drawer and said, you're crazy. You're not doing that. You know, go back to, you know, you need to be a doctor. So when did you pick up that application? So I, I had lunch with a really good friend of mine who knew me very well a couple of weeks later, maybe a month later, and I said, John, I have this crazy idea. I'm thinking about maybe applying to viticulture and school and learning to make wine. And um, it's, it's odd, you know. I mean, sometimes you need a friend, right, to just kind of push you. And I said, but I'm going to wait for a year. Let me think about this, you know. It's kind of a crazy idea. Can I really? And he said, don't wait. Don't wait. Apply now. Then you decide. If you get in, you have the option. It buys you some but, time. But right. just apply now. And so he, he, he kind of pushed me. And so I filled out the application, mailed it in, and that was that. And I got in. And then what happened? And then I packed my bags and moved across the country. What did your family think? You were going to medical school. Yeah. Well, the plan was to go to medical school. You know, I had the luck of very supportive parents who have always supported every dream I've pursued, whether it was music or medicine or, you know, I think they questioned it. But, you know, I was, how old was I? I was getting close to 30 Mm -hmm. at that point. Um, so I, I was an adult. Mm-hmm. You know, people say that great medicine, in a way, even though it's based and backed up with science, is an art. You know, right. being a great doctor involves art right. and nuance. And doing what you do is definitely science-based, but without a doubt has the component. The really great winemakers have an artistic sensibility, don't they? I think so. I mean, I think what makes greatness in all things... I mean, it can be medicine, it can be music. There's something that can't be explained, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the mathematics of it or the science behind it. It's the stuff that, that moves us, right? And, and I think that applies to all things in life. I do. I, I think so, too. That's a really interesting point. Um, and I noticed as I'm devouring this spring salad that you haven't taken a bite because I'm making you talk, talk, talk. That's okay. I'm going to try so, some so as please, well. Um, I will. Why don't you take a few bites and I will I will do some talking. How's that? Um, that's really interesting. How you know I'm always fascinated by what I call a fork in the road when people think their life is going one way and they're presented with a fork in the road as you were with that glass of wine and that information and they really choose a different path. I actually almost called this podcast Fork in the Road because so many people have something that really sends them in a different direction and for the better. Mm -hmm. So take me to you looking for jobs and you find yourself as part of Chimney Rock. Take me to that first year here. What was your role? What did you do? And what was your experience like? Because you've been here for 20 years. So something good must have happened in that first year. 
Yeah, well, the funniest story is I came to Chimney Rock as an intern Ooh. while I was a graduate student at Davis. So that was pretty traditional for students there to take the fall semester off and go get some practical experience. So I did an internship at another winery in 98. My second internship in 1999 was at Chimney Rock. Um, so I came here as an intern and uh, did grape sampling and uh, lab analysis and lugged hoses in the cellar and cleaned a lot of equipment. And um, I knew Cabernet was my grape already at this point. Like, that was the grape that had gotten me. That got, was your love. Oh, that was you my love. You love the Cabernet grape. Yeah. And so I think it was incredibly serendipitous to get to work here. Now, there, there's a funny twist in the story. So... I came here, a really good friend of mine was the assistant winemaker at the time. Her name was Lila Bacchus. We had gone to Davis together. Three years later, I'm now working somewhere else at Napa Wine Company. I completed my internship, got my degree, went to Napa Wine Company where I started my career. Lila decides she's bored with wine and she wants to go to medical school. Oh my goodness. So she now delivers babies in Chicago. And uh, Doug Fletcher, who was the head winemaker, called me back and said, do you want to come back? And I, and I came running, of course. And what was your role when you came back? So I came back as assistant winemaker in 2002. Okay. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you, so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American national agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American national companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. 
As the seasons change and the weather warms up, may I suggest a delicious glass of the Turlato Pinot Grigio. It was 1979 when Anthony Turlato introduced America to Pinot Grigio, earning him the title, the father of Pinot Grigio. Since then, his son Bill has spent years making sure that the taste of this Pinot Grigio would be unlike any other in the market. Notes of peach, pear, citrus, and a distinct minerality. From the hills of northern Italy, the grapes meticulously handpicked. This would be a dynamite choice for your summer table. Use promo code TDF20 to get 20% off your first bottle at uncork.com. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. So you came back as an assistant winemaker. Take me through the first few years. It's, you know, the first few years of anyone's career is always a little bumpy. What did you learn and when did you realize, was there a moment where you realized, wow, did I make the right decision? I don't think I ever looked back. I mean, I think I remember my very first internship. Here I am, like, hooking up hoses to a pump. And I, I had that moment of like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> what are you doing? But literally immediately within that same internship, as I'm walking vineyards and seeing, you know, red-tailed hawks in the skies, like oh, this, this is going to be a great way to make a, a living. So you know? it's the beauty of the surroundings. It's yeah. what you're actually, the work you're actually doing, but you cannot deny just the feeling you get with working in nature, working in a beautiful setting, and really seeing something come to fruition, no pun intended, every single year, right? Yeah. I mean, I love that the year is variable. You do different things at different times. You measure your life in seasons, right? Like it's, you're so connected to the weather and it makes for a very present way of living. Uh, because you have to stop and, and watch the forecast and see how the vineyard is changing. So there's a, I don't know, there's something about just being very grounded and not getting lost in maybe noise mm. about it. There's a purity to living an agricultural life, I think. Do you think you're forced to live more in the moment than other people? I think so. I think you have to pay attention. You have to stop and look at the grapevine and what's blooming. You know, you're paying attention to animals on the property. Like, it, it is a very... It all matters. Yeah, it all matters. Exactly. Exactly. Stag's Leap District. This is considered Stag's Leap, correct? That's right. What makes Stag's Leap District different and and how does that affect the wine that this area produces? So an AVA is an American viticultural area, and basically it's been assigned such a tag because it has unique soil, climate, geography. So the there there of Stag's Leap would be these kind of unique um, massive rock outcroppings known as the Palisades, which lurk above us, which you know, creates some reflective heat, and that affects kind of the climate of the area, beautiful volcanic soils. We're also at the south end of the Napa Valley, so we're getting some stronger cooling um, influences from the San Pablo Bay. So mm. that creates a unique character of, stag of, of Cabernet mm -hmm. um, due to that kind of trifecta of conditions. Earlier today, you took me on a little tour of the vineyard, and you mentioned that heat is important for Cabernet grapes, correct? That's right. But also, it sounds like the coolness 
is also very important. Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic? Yeah, it's like the yin and yang, right? You need heat to ripen the tannins, but if you're too hot, you lose acidity. Mm. And acidity, the you know, the balance of acid and tannin is sometimes what can make or break Cabernet. You want both. Acidity helps in the ageability. Tannins um, are the structure, but if it's too cold, then you could have wines that are brutally tannic and maybe not not great for the table, if you will. So we like that combination here in Stag's Leap District. It makes for a very drinkable Cabernet. So in a way, you have so many conditions that are out of your control, right? right. You have the weather, you have the soil. I guess terroir is the terminology, right, for all, right. Of the, all of it mixed That's together. Right. What can you control? And what are the elements that you really work on getting those down, knowing there's so much about this winemaking process you cannot control? Yeah. Well, you can control how you react to things, right? So you can control how you react to a cooler year by removing leaves in a canopy. You can react to... Um, Mother Nature giving a crop that's maybe too big by thinning some fruit off so that you get perfect ripeness. And let me stop you there. When you say thinning the leaves in a canopy, that was one of the things you can do to control. What that means is when the grapes are ripe and it's cool and you know that you have to get more heat on them, you, you, you go in by hand and take the leaves off so the grapes can see more sun. So they can see more sun, exactly, because right. you need sun to ripen. Uh, the fruit. Okay, so this is just one of the kind of tools in your toolkit of how you can not manipulate, I don't like that word, but to really affect the outcome. Yeah, exactly. I think the other thing I can control is, um, you know, how I lead my team, right? Mm. We go through some very stressful situations. uh, Give me an example. With weather. Well, it could be the earthquake of 2014, or it could be the fires of 17. It could be a pandemic. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of things that are going to influence. How long do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Mother Nature's in charge. At the end of the day, we know this. And I think how we react um, and keeping our cool is just critical, right? Oh my goodness, what has arrived at the table? But two delicious options for pasta. It looks like a rigatoni bolognese. That's right. And also a risotto, a pea risotto. That's right. With truffles. truffles. Of course. Favorite. That looks fabulous. Thank you. Wow. So their pastas, needless to say, are all made on site. I mean, it's as good as being in Italy. Oh, wow. I can't wait to try it. And is there a wine that we should be drinking with this, or should I continue on with my white? I think you can have either of our reds, although it might be fun to have a little bit of the Elevage Blanc with the the truffle risotto, because one of the things I love about this wine, it has a lot of creaminess and beautiful texture, and it can actually stand up to some fairly hefty dishes, mm-hmm. so it'll show you how versatile that wine is, that you could have it with a salad, yes. but you can also have it with like this delicious creamy risotto. So I'm going to try it with the risotto. Okay, I will too. Sounds great. Did you know uh, when you were a young person that you had a palate, uh, sort of a, a developed palate? Did you, did you love food and could you really taste different things as a kid? Or was that something you developed later in life? No, um, my dad had a love for fine wine, mm. um, and he, I grew up in Brazil, we, he would allow us to smell and take a little taste of wine, mm-hmm. 
my mom uh, grew up in the countryside and she was very, she was very aware of smells and like, I think she made me aware of smells in the kitchen. So I think, I don't think I was aware of it, but now when I look back, right. it was there. More than the average person, you were being yeah. shown different ways to think and ways to smell and use yeah. your senses. Yeah, and my dad, my dad is convinced that it was his. Um, he tasted a bottle of 1945 Mouton Rothschild, which he bought on a sale of a restaurant uh, in Brazil, and he's convinced he tasted that, and it was the most moving bottle of wine he ever had. And he said, "That's why you're a winemaker." Somehow that influenced your your path. And did he tell you that as a teenager? Uh, no, he didn't tell me that until I discovered mine. <laughs> so he, that's really interesting because it sounds like a very parallel with your story. Yeah. Of having that glass and hearing that story. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that interesting? Yeah, so he obviously had a good nose. <laughs> yes, he had a good nose, and so do you. That's amazing. First of all, this risotto is creamy and delicious, and the truffle just makes it. Mm. Mushrooms and peas, so good. I know, it's hard to talk. Mm. It's really, really good. <laughs> Do you have an opportunity to dine out with all of your hard work here? And if so, it must be you're in one of the most spectacular places in the country for trying new food. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard to be a winemaker not to eventually become a foodie. Right. So for me, wine came first. And it then drove me to, actually, I, I really didn't cook until I got into wine. It didn't interest me that much, you know, which, yeah. which, is, which is odd. But wine drove me to think so much more about food. Mm. And I, I mean, part of the business is being out there and, um, you know, looking at wine lists and seeing what the trends are, but I just love food. I love delicious food. I do too. I know. I, I'm, you're speaking my language. It's another hobby. Right, exactly. I mean, I created this show first and foremost because I love food. Yeah. And I really believe that food tells a story and where someone loves to eat is part of who they are. Yeah. You don't have to be a foodie. You could just yeah. have a favorite restaurant, but it's going to speak to who you are and where you came from. Yeah, and what a better way to get to know a person over a meal and a glass of wine, Ab right? Absolutely. That's it. That's it. I'd love to try one of these reds. Which one should I try first and okay. what will I be drinking? So we're going to start with the 2018, actually, let's go to the right, okay. to the Elevage. So this is our proprietary red blend, okay. which is a blend of Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, and a little bit of uh, Petit Verdot as well. I won't tell you the breakdown because I want you to taste it first. But the idea behind this wine is our proprietary blend. What I think of in Stag's Leap is what's different is the texture. Think velvet in a glass. Think of very feminine red wine, and I oh, mean wow. that. That is um, delicious. So with proprietary blends, no rules apply, right? If you're going to make a Cabernet, it has to be 75% Cabernet. Okay. Here, because it's a blend, um, we can do anything. And so this wine is created as a response to a particular vintage. So if the Cabernet is very tannic and I need more Merlot to soften it up to create this round, silky blend... We can do that. Mm. So I think of this as like the modern art blend that yeah. we put together. It's like putting, you know. Do you enjoy doing blends more? Because you really can have more finesse and more art to it. You know, I, I love them both. I mean, that is kind of the creative aspect of winemaking, blending, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're using your palate as your guide and it's, it's not mathematical. Right. It's really tasting and coming up with what's right. But there's nothing more beautiful than a vineyard that just dances on its own and doesn't have to be blended with mm. anything. So I, I love both. You know, it's really interesting when you look at the, the path of a sommelier 
and everything that they have to learn to become an expert on, on so many different factors. But in many ways, you have a similar path because you really have to be attuned to all the different factors and what's causing the taste to change. So how do you develop that? And I'm saying this question really for people who are interested in wine, who are young who or not, who are really want to get better. How do you sort of develop that? And do you have any tips and tricks to get people to really pay attention? Yeah, I would say our path is very similar to sommelier because we have to taste a lot. Mm -hmm. And so my recommendation for anybody who's getting into wine is don't focus on a region. Travel around the world with wine. You know, try. So in my household, we do this with my husband. We'll explore. We'll go through a phase where we're just tasting white wines from Friuli or, you know, we'll go to Bordeaux blends from South Africa. There is an amazing world of wine out there. And I think the most important thing is to stay open-minded and get to know different regions and what they offer. Mm -hmm. And I think that gives us a perspective which is also global. So I want to stay in tune to the entire world, not just Napa Valley. I think that's it's really important. We can learn from other regions. And I think that's that's a really, that's, I mean, that's one of the most unique aspects of wine. It can grow, grapes can grow in so many different climates and regions. And it can and taste be, totally different. And taste totally different. And different grapes, there are hundreds of grapes. And, and they're it, all fascinating. It's so dynamic of a yeah. career you've chosen because it's constantly changing and you, you'll never learn it all. Exactly. Right. I, I, oh. I said to you, you know, can I call you a master winemaker? And you said, no, no, no. What did you say? I said, I, no, you, you can't be a master of wine because it's uh, it's an eternal learning curve, mm -hmm. you know. And if I ever call myself a master, I'm in trouble because <laughs> I probably still have something to learn. So, no, I don't believe you can be. Chimney Rock is owned by the Terlato Wine Group and the Terlato family. Where do you feel their influence the most in this business, in this company, in this brand? I think it all comes, it all came from Tony, right, in many ways. Um, this appreciation for wine as a part of the table, for quality first, like making quality the priority um, when it comes to fine wine. I mean, and, and their dedication to that. Um, and they show it in their business. Sometimes we have to make hard decisions. We've had issues with fires and We've had to declassify wine that mm -hmm. we didn't think was good enough to put in the bottle. Those are big financial decisions. Mm -hmm. But I think what I feel the most from them is the support mm. to be able to make consistently beautiful and terroir-driven wines. So I would say that's that's where I feel them. It's the support. Right. And, and, and I think, you know, an interesting question is, as a winemaker, when you're working for a company a winery, is the objective to make the most beautiful, most delicious bottle of wine possible, or is it to utilize the grapes in the best way so that you can sell the most bottles? And I'm sure that that's a, that's a business question, but I'll put it to you as a winemaker. What is your objective? Um, <laughs> well, my first objective is a little bit esoteric. It's really to evoke an emotional response in a consumer. It's for any one of the bottles that we make to be that aha moment for mm. people where they go, oh my God, this is delicious. I've never tasted something like this. Oh. And that that's going to then lead to that person being more interested in wine and learning more about it. 
That's my first goal. Um, I think my second goal would be to really make a wine that represents this place and the vintage as it was. So like a tale of purity in some ways. The third is to take those two and somehow magically convert it to a super successful business, mm-hmm. right? That's what I have to do for the family. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. But I think I think the first two are quite authentic yes. goals. And I think when you build a business on authenticity, there's just no better route. Mm. Every season is different, and that's the beauty of what you do, right? How how's this season going? How you know? Give me a, give me a lay of the land of how's <laughs> you know how's Stag's Leap and specifically Chimney Rock doing? And are there do you have any worries or concerns? Yeah, so California as a whole is in a little bit of a drought pattern. Our rainfall here on the estate was actually close to normal but it was very early in the season Mm. so things sort of have started to dry out early Um, now the fact that we don't rain during the growing season a whole lot is what makes napa a very consistent growing region okay now yesterday we had a little bit of rain Mm -hmm. which is really unusual for may we had thunder lightning and we had a little hail (laughs) and our grapevines are about to bloom thank goodness they hadn't started to flower yet um, because that could affect how much crop the the vineyard sets. We always get curveballs, and uh, we just have to watch, think calmly, and then react appropriately. Because you have so many factors that you can't control, and you do get curveballs, do you have an MO, or do you have a personal uh, mantra for handling them with you and your team? Because I imagine the, the winemakers that do the best are able to handle circumstances beyond their control also the best. Yeah. So, yes. And I think my way of living probably came a little bit from my parents. Um, And I think to handle life with laughter and calm Mm. is the way that I was raised. Mm. So no matter how rocky things get, you you keep your cool, you find the humor. Mm. And I think that helps to keep my team calm and feel like things are in control. Mm. They may seem like they're out of control, but we can control how we react to them. And I think by staying connected as a team and being positive, like having a positive outlook is really, and, and seeing, you know, seeing the glass half full and seeing everything as a learning opportunity. Um, that's the other beautiful thing, because if we see something in a vintage that we haven't seen before, it's an opportunity to learn. We're going to learn something new this year. And as I said, internal learning curve, we're grateful for that. It makes us better. That's really interesting. I'm wondering, um, when you think about uh, what's ahead, you have been here for 20 years. What has kept you here for 20 years? I would start with family, uh, who I trust and who have supported me and, and been an amazing family to work for. So you mean the Trilato family? The Trilato family, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I would say uh, the place. Mm. The place, the vineyards. I'm in love with these vineyards. Uh, and I think, you know, when I started in winemaking, I I didn't know whether I wanted to travel around and maybe try out some different varieties. I knew I loved Cabernet and Chimney Rock. Had, I'd gotten a little injection of Chimney Rock as an intern. But I think, in retrospect... Seeing the same vineyards through the course of 20 years, see them come to maturity. We planted some of these 
vines I saw from being planted to now 20 years old um, under different conditions, mm-hmm. it's a real gift, right? Mm-hmm. You, the sense of intimacy with this place. And I think the team around me, like I think they're, if you were to get to know this team, there is a sense of joy about the place. Um, well, that's what I, when yeah. you said family, I thought yeah. you probably, that extended to the people that you work with. Absolutely. As family. Yeah. I don't know what I like better, the risotto or the bolognese. It's delicious. Both yeah. of them are so I good. agree. I love them both. And I, it was kind of fun trying them with the different, but the, the bolognese is definitely better with the reds, right? Yes, I mean, of course. Yeah. Right? It goes yeah. Paris so beautifully. Yeah, it's perfect. So we did a proprietary red blend. Is this also a blend? What is this? Uh, oh, there's so one other this glass. is um, the Estate Cabernet on the left. And that is... Basically, what I think of as the ambassador of Chimney Rock, it's a blend of all of the blocks. You have a map in front of you with all of the different blocks. And we have this vast array of microclimates and soils and different clones planted. Um, So a lot of different personalities of Cabernet. The very north end of the estate's a little warmer, so you get slightly riper, jammier fruit. The south end's a little cooler, so you're going to get more savory, kind of dried herbs. And um, this is the wine that puts it all together like a symphony, mm. right? So um, this is the wine that you may find at a shop near you or in restaurants. It's, we export a little bit of this wine as well. So um, this is a sort of classic signature. That's right. Right. Let me try right. this. And it's going to be more structured, right? Oh, wow. That's delicious. And it is more structured. And it hits me at the back of my throat. As opposed to the other one I felt was more on the front of my yeah, mouth. Yeah, So definitely more masculine wine, yes. right, would you say? Yes, Descriptively, wine, just more structured, yes. more bold. It's Cabernet. Cabernet is wow. bolder. This is softened out with the edges of Merlot. I want this with Merlot. the fillet. That's right. right. Yes. A, a great fillet. Yeah. This would stand up against that. Exactly. Like a good, a great ribeye or yes. something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so but good. But that is, that is Stag's Leap District Cab. Now, the eight, this is the 18 vintage, which is a cooler year. Mm-hmm. Warmer years tend to be a little bit softer, more delicate. Cooler years can be a little bit more austere. Um, so this this particular bottle to me has great aging potential. And that's something that is always a delight, right? Put something away in your cellar for five to ten years. I'm a terrible collector, by the way. I have no patience. <laughs> but with a wine like this, you really want to see it with a little bit of age. Yes. Um, so you can start to see some of the development that you get in bottle. Take me to one of your favorite days as a winemaker. And I'm leaving this question very open-ended because you could really interpret it many different ways. But do you have a moment that you really think about when you think about your career as a winemaker as, as a really amazing moment? I think I'd go to... A harvest day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're getting close to go time. Mm-hmm. And it's the time of the year that I'm spending the most time in the vineyard. So first thing I do is go walk the rows and taste the grapes. And I'm getting close to making decisions on when to harvest. And maybe we've already harvested some things. And we've got some tanks uh, to taste already that are fermenting. I think that is my happiest. Because it's it's when... It's go time. It's when I'm really thinking. I'm in it. It's pure. There's not a lot of noise. You know, my, my days can vary tremendously throughout the year. Um, and even welcoming guests during harvest. Mm. Um, there's so much show and tell. And I love sharing, like, this is what a, you know, what a fermenting Cabernet smells like. 
Um, I think it's a harvest day. Just a harvest day any year is my favorite. All of your hard work comes to fruition, right? It's yeah, like marathon day. That's it. All the training. That's it. All the you know hiccups along the way, and the, here is a chance to really show them what you got. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I would counter that like probably the second favorite is is really tasting with whether it be consumers or trade, and seeing an appreciation for what we've created, mm. like getting that response, seeing that emotional response, mm. which I work hard to evoke, I think that would probably be a second favorite. What's ahead for you? I mean, here you are, here you sit 20 years into working at Chimney Rock. Obviously, you're someone who loves the rhythm of working here every year. But I'm wondering, you know, what what keeps you going and, and what do you look forward to? Yeah, I mean, again, like, I think that's kind of the beautiful thing about winemaking I will continue to get better and to know this piece of land better. We will continue to figure out how to farm more sustainably. Um, that's that's a really important part of the vision for Chimney Rock, both for the Trollado family and for myself, that mm-hmm. we do this as responsibly as we can. So we're, we're really challenging ourselves on being leaders on the sustainability path. Um, I think seeing my team grow I think that's something that I really love doing. I love mentoring people. And whether it's my team or young winemakers getting into the business, I always pick up a phone call or take an email if somebody wants advice on how to do it. Um, Influencing the future generation of winemakers means a lot to me. Mm. What do you think that you are uniquely good at when when it comes to winemaking? Because there's so many different aspects to it. And I'm sure if you line up five different winemakers, they would all be good at something different. What do you think is uniquely Elizabeth? Hmm, that's a really interesting question. I think maybe, and I think part of it has to do with being a winemaker in Stag's Leap District, I think my obsession with texture has driven me to really think about blending. And, and I, I, think that's, I think that's my expertise. I think also one thing that I think is critical for winemakers is you really have to be a viticulturalist as well. You have to understand vineyards. You have to understand what you need to do. And oftentimes those things are separated. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us winemaking, really, it's done in the vineyards. Mm-hmm. You have to, to, to create grapefruit. You have to be there year-round. So I would say those are maybe... You know, it's funny because one of the things I'm getting from you that I have I never really asked that I think is really interesting about you is I feel like you have some really amazing qualities of a manager and a leader that have nothing to do with wine, right? And I'm sure you, those are things that you've had to develop over the years. Like very few people are just like naturally good managers right out of the bat. You really have to learn by, you know, trial and error, just like wine, right? I'm just wondering like, was there anyone that inspired you or how have, how's that journey been of trying to lead? Because it's not just you, but it's also your assistant winemakers and your team. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think I've always really thought about what leadership is. So I think I believe in this place so much. My goal, like it has just been to make people love the place that they work at and mm. how do I cultivate that? Wow, right? that's powerful. I think 
Because if you let that inform everything you do versus output of yeah. wine or getting the bottles out. Or, or sales. Yes. Like, right. They, if they love it as much as I do, yes. I know we'll succeed. You'll right? sell. Right. Yeah. Like if They'll believe. First. Giving people a reason to believe. I think that's... Um, and also making them feel like they're they're really a part of it, yes. right? Like really, like when we get a slew of good scores, the first people I send it to is my seller team. Mm. You know, congratulations, you guys did it again. Yeah, you know, that's important. Like they have to feel that they they're a part of what's creating this special place. Yeah. So, when you survey the landscape of Napa, uh, especially Stag's Leap of this 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 section of California. How many winemakers are female, and what do you think, being a woman, you bring to this job uniquely? Um, yeah, so I know there was some work done at the University of Santa Clara on some of those statistics, mm. and this was probably a decade ago, mm-hmm. and I think the finding was that 2% of winemakers in the world are women, wow. 4% of winemakers in the U.S. are women, and in Napa Valley, we're actually ahead of the curve. It's about 10%. Okay. I don't know if that's accurate now, but okay. it, that gives you a sense of, you know, where we've been. Mm-hmm. Um, I think women have an innate ability to multitask. Which is needed. Which is needed. Yes. Yeah, because you're, you're managing a lot of different things at different times of the year or so. In the winter, you're starting to blend wines. You're starting to prep for bottling. You're ordering things. You're, and then you've you know you've got to host people, trade journalists. It's there's always a lot going on, and keeping all of your balls in the air and making sure you don't drop anything. Women are particularly good at that. I think you're absolutely yeah. right, and that make, that makes complete sense. You work with an assistant winemaker who's also a woman. Um, and you have a staff of six, three men, three women. Is this correct? Yeah. So it's a really nice balance, well-balanced. That's it's probably unusual. Yes. That is probably unusual. Yeah, that's um, nice. And, and I, th- I think it's good. Yeah, and clearly you work well together, so that's great. Yeah. Well, I'd love to raise a glass to you. I'm going to choose the Cabernet. I don't know what you're going to choose. Maybe I'll do the same because it's my favorite Okay, grape. Well, I'm going to choose the Cabernet. I just want to say thank you for bringing me here, allowing me to hear your fascinating story, and also with cheers to Tony Turlato on on what would be his birthday today. Um, Special day to Tony. Cheers. Cheers. This has been amazing. So delicious. And such an interesting, interesting path you've carved out in a stunning location. Thank you. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 